It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're fixing to have us a good day. Bring it up. Welcome on in to the Locked On Auburn Podcast. I'm Zach Blackerby. In just a moment, I will be joined by Painter Sharpless of ESPN 106.7. We're going to talk a little basketball. And then also coming up about halfway through the pod, we will switch gears. I'll be joined by Christian Page with CoverOne.net. Talk about Auburn guys in the Combine. There were nine of them. Not all of them took a whole lot of action, but yeah, excited to... uh, to chat about that. But first, let's give a shout out to the guys that make this show possible. We love our friends at Fetch Me. They are the true local food delivery service in town. They hire their own employees, they take care of their own employees, they control the whole delivery process. And my favorite thing about Fetch Me is like if you have an issue, if you have an issue with uh, Grubhub or Uber Eats or any of these larger services, try calling them when you have a problem. You can't do it. It is literally impossible. It's very easy with Fetch Me. So uh, use promo code FetchMe20 for your first delivery free. First delivery free. And I, I actually had two listeners reach out to me this weekend that said they used Fetch Me for the first time and they used the promo code. So thank you so much for doing that. And uh, yeah, if Auburn scores more than 85 points in a game, you can use AU Ball 85 to get 50% off of your delivery. But Painter, that was not the case as they scored <laughs> just uh, 66 points on the road against Kentucky. Thanks for joining me today. What did you think of that game? Uh, great game. Just want to say I'm glad you're bringing in Christian Page to talk about the combine because I would be pretending a lot. So this is something I feel that I'm a little more comfortable with. It went about the way I expected. I don't think you were su- surprised either. I thought they played better than I was expecting them to, honestly, especially early on. But you and I were talking about it when you came on my show earlier today on Auburn Opelika this morning. Uh, there was there were stints in the second half where Auburn would be down by two, then something would happen, they'd get down by four or five, then they'd get back within two, and then they drop down to two, five, six-ish, somewhere around there, then get back in with two or three. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, how are they in this game to begin with? <laughs> uh, you know, the first half, I think that there was a – a running joke, at least on social media, about Auburn starting quickly offensively on the road. Um, and then, you know, Kentucky closed that half nicely. I, my thought here is uh, if if this game in any way changes something for you as an Auburn fan or alters the, what you think about the season, what is it? The, like, the, the thing is, you can't win the regular season title now. Right. But other than that, I don't think a lot has changed. Auburn is still a good team rebounding getting to the free throw line. They're not efficient at the free throw line, but they make up for it in volume, and they play great defense. What they don't do is shoot the ball well, especially on the road. And like that, to me, screams that they are going to be liable in the tournament very much. uh, They're very much beholden to whatever their matchup is in the tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. As far as Auburn's destiny before the NCAA tournament, just looking at SEC stuff, uh, there's a chance that they do not get the two seed. I thought it was kind of a foregone conclusion, but there's a chance that they are not going to be the two seed. In your mind, is there a big difference between being a three or a four seed versus a two seed in that tournament? It depends on who you're matched up with, right? Like yeah. if, if it impacts Auburn getting matched up with Alabama. They don't want to play Alabama. One, from the rivalry standpoint, like I think it has shades of that Colin Sexton year where Auburn was the better team, but they right. were injured down the stretch and... Alabama clearly it meant something to them in the tournament yeah. to, to win that game. Right. Um, the other thing I would say there is like wh- regardless of it being Alabama, any team that can shoot well and shoot from three 
is a bad matchup for Auburn because it can be difficult for the Tigers to keep up. Now, we've seen them do it as they've scored and, and you know, what, 80 and 90-some-odd points to beat both LSU and Alabama, who have faltered some down the stretch. But I, I think it only matters so much in are you getting a better draw in the tournament with a higher seed or a lower seed. And that honestly doesn't have so much to do with your seeding as it does just sort of like where the, the rest of the, the standings fall. So I don't think so. I think the goal here, that was a roundabout way of saying, no, just get a get a double bye, be one of the top four seeds. And sure, you've had a nice season. You've beaten LSU. It would be nice to finish second behind Kentucky. But, you know, I mean, nobody remembers who comes in second place. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Painter Sharpless of ESPN 106.7 hanging out with us today. So, uh, to me, it looked like Isaac Okoro was back to to full speed, wouldn't you say? I, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he looked pretty comfortable on Saturday. The only thing that I would say at this point has got to be, do you are you, if you're Isaac, are you at all hesitant? Just because you were like doing a normal thing, running down on a fast break, and you pulled that muscle. And there was some contact, though. Right. But I th- guess that, that can always happen. I guess my thought is, do you have any? Any of that in the back of your mind? I, I don't think so. Like, if I'm not worried about the injury for him. He doesn't point. seem like that kind of dude. You know what I mean? I, I don't think his mental capacity is getting in the way. Like, I don't think he's got this thing in the back of his head. Like, oh my gosh, what if my, you know, what if my, I pull my muscle again? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you see guys like uh, like Chuma, even last year. I mean, he fell a little bit in the draft, you would assume, because of his injury. But it didn't hurt him a whole lot. So... I still think he's a lottery pick if, I mean, God willing, you know, I mean, hopefully nothing ever happens to him. But I, I think he's a lottery pick regardless, right? I believe so. And even Chuma, you know, I think Chuma, I, and I'm, I could be speaking out of turn here, but I think he surprised people by going as high as he did mm-hmm. with the injury. He kept moving up draft boards. And on top of that, um, and, and I think the Magic just took him sooner than people anticipated. The other thing is... Clearly they liked him. There are people like Sam Vecini who are confused about Isaac Okoro being... Who is mo- Sam Vecini, uh, for folks who don't know? He, he's, a, I think, one of the best at, at scouting and mocking these drafts. He works for the Athletic. Does not have Isaac in the top five, though. He has oh, Isaac yeah? in the top ten, whereas ESPN, among some others, do have him in the top five. So, yes, definitely a lottery pick. Um, and, it, you know, if Auburn goes on a great run... It will probably move his stock up. Here's something else to consider. There's a good chance he is the highest-rated prospect, maybe besides Obi Toppin uh, of Dayton, to be playing in the tournament because Georgia's not going to be in it. Right. Uh, LaMelo Ball uh, plays overseas. Right. Cole Anthony uh, with North Carolina. I haven't actually checked, but at one point they were not – like it looked like they were going to miss the tournament. So my point in saying that is – you know, Isaac will probably be one of the top prospects playing in the NCAA tournament, which is, I think, good for him, uh, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So moving ahead for the Tigers, I mean, they've got two more games. A&M at home, which has kind of been hot and cold, depending on which uh, which night you watch A&M. 
and then they travel to take on the Tennessee Vols. What are your thoughts on these final two games and Auburn's seeding as a whole going into uh, the postseason in the SEC tournament? Love their chances to win both of them. Really? Absolutely think it's possible they could lose to that Tennessee team, though. I'll likely end up picking them both straight up to, to win and finish out their, their season on a two-game win streak. You're pretty high on the A&M squad, though, aren't you? Yeah, I think that they're tricky. I think that they're tricky, and Buzz Williams is in the running to be coach of the year. If it's not John Calipari, it probably needs to be him. Mm-hmm. Um, they and He inherited a bad team, and they looked the part. They looked terrible to start the season, and... They have improved as the season went on. So there is a – they are not more talented than Auburn, but to, to think that they could lose the game, sure. I, the thing that does it for me is that game being in Auburn Arena, right? Like that, yeah. I just don't – I think that if this game was in A&M and they were trying to close the year out on a high note and the crowd really got behind them, I could envision an Auburn team shooting poorly and losing a close game. I don't think that'll be the case this week. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Hey, man, thank you for uh, summing up the the basketball game on Saturday for us. Where can people find you and hear you, buddy? If you like what it is we do here on the Locked on Auburn podcast, please listen to the lunch break from 11 to 1. In the event you're tied up there at those hours, we've got you covered with the podcast as well. Plenty of ways to listen. ESPNAU.com, the ESPN 1067 app. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, buddy. That is Painter Sharples of ESPN 106.7. In just a moment, we will be joined by our friend Christian Page of CoverOne.net. Stay tuned. If your company is interested in advertising and marketing to men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Auburn is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want to advertise to male listeners between 18 and 44, this is your chance. Plus, our rates are pretty reasonable. Email me at LockedOnAuburn at gmail.com to get more information. I look forward to hearing from you. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. We're now joined by a good friend of mine, Christian Page of CoverOne.net. Christian, how are you, buddy? Man, I'm doing well. Pinnacle of draft season right now with the combine just wrapping up. Yeah, so this, you know I'm t- yeah, this is your time of the year, man. So were you glued to your TV all weekend watching the combine? Yeah, for the most part, and now with the the TV schedule kind of balancing out with uh, you know how the spectators can watch it because used to be I think at nine a.m. to about three, and then they changed the schedule from about three to ten p.m. So yeah. it definitely benefited me, of course. So just to be selfish, yes, sure, I definitely was glued to my TV. Hey, you can be selfish. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, all right, so let's talk with the guy that's going to get drafted first for Auburn, Derek Brown, one of the nine Tigers or former Tigers now uh, working out in front of. Scouts, a lot of talk about his three-cone. I hear he's still running it. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems the joke. In it. And it's weird because, you know, the combine is kind of supposed to accentuate some things that you see on film. That was the opposite approach to Derek Brown's numbers because, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, this three-cone was slow. Well, yeah, he, you know, he was slow coming around the edges or getting, you know, he was slow in some explosive stance. But that wasn't the case for Derek Brown on film because – you saw his ability to convert power to speed and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You saw his quick get off on film. 
So the numbers didn't necessarily correlate with what we see on film. And so it was kind of, I describe it as kind of an awkward situation because it's like, is this the same guy that we're used to seeing, you know, uh, dominate the trenches against LSU, hold his own versus Alabama, and, you know, put up all kind of numbers in the SEC because he's known as that, just that disruptor and that dominant force inside. Yeah. And those numbers didn't necessarily correlate as far as the combine goes, but he'll get another crack at it, I assume, at the pro day. Maybe he can clean up some of those things, and those questions can kind of get swept under the rug. It's kind of funny, though. A lot of folks kind of – you know, who, whose team picks in the middle of the, the first round or maybe towards the later first round, maybe, you know, a, an early exit playoff team, they were kind of cheering for him. They, like, responded to, to Derek Brown on Twitter saying, like, hey, this is awesome. You know, maybe you'll fall to uh, the Buccaneers. Or, hey, he met with the Patriots, Christian. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, if that <laughs> – I mean, wouldn't that be a situation? Uh, a top five player in the draft – has a couple of bad stumbles at the combine and ends up for the best program in all of uh, all of uh, the NFL. So Malcolm Brown def- all over again. Right, yeah, it could be definitely. But Derek Brown, I mean, he's not slipping past. I say that top 15 threshold, yeah. I don't see him slipping past that. Uh, you know, Oakland picking early there, and you, you talked about Tampa Bay and possibly even a team like Denver, I think, sure. could all have needy tackle. They wouldn't let a player of the Browns caliber slip that far. All right, Prince Tega uh, weighed in at 307. That's about all he did. He, he didn't partake in a whole lot of activities due to that knee. You think that hurts him a whole lot? Sounds like he's going to get things going uh, coming up, uh, I guess, this Friday at, at Auburn's Pro Day. You think not showing out of the combine affects him a whole lot? Yeah, it's been a tough draft season for Prince Tega. You know, he had he had to call it quits at the Senior Bowl for, for knee swelling. They wouldn't let him uh, – you know, go out with practices and everything. He did stay throughout the whole week. So I think that was a good from a mentality standpoint and just kind of soaking in all the practices, keeping his interviews all the way to Saturday. So that was a positive note. But with this, now it's a foot injury. Um, And then Tony Pauline of of PFN also uh, reported that he is not going to participate in the pro day for Auburn on Friday, but he will have his own workout later on. Uh, So that is a situation where it's like, you can't really improve on numbers of numbers that you haven't put out there yet. So Prince Tega, it's gonna he's gonna kind of put all of his uh, eggs in one basket whenever that personal workout comes. But it is disappointing because you know there's a this tackle class is very top heavy, mm-hmm. uh, and I say that meaning maybe four or maybe even five guys go in that top 15. So you know naturally that kind of pushes up these guys kind of on that second tier, third tier, kind of pushes their projection up. Prince Tega would be in that group. But, you know, guys are surpassing them now with, with certain numbers and, and being able to participate uh, at these these post-football uh, season events. Mm-hmm. Chris Tega, I mean, he can't help it, I guess you could say, but he's definitely kind of fallen short of the mark, whether he can help it or not. Is he a top 10 tackle in this class? Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably in that borderline, that 8 to 10. I think he has to clean up some things. With his mass and his athletic ability, I think you would like to see him you know, accentuate that more, be more of that aggressor that we know he's capable of. I think athletically, you know, his lower half is pretty smooth. Uh, He's pretty good to get to the second level, but I think maybe if he can clean up some things with his hands and just be more of that bully that we know he's capable of, I think he'll make a lot of teams happy if he can improve on those attributes. The other offensive tackle, Jack Driscoll, ran a really good 40 time if you're into that thing for offensive linemen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Driscoll, you know, I'll go on the record saying I think he's one of the more underrated players in this draft class in the entirety, regardless of position, because, you know, you think about watching just Auburn's film from game one to game 13. 
it doesn't seem like you ever came away with like, man, if Driscoll would have executed that block, Auburn could have gotten here. You never really, really, you know, pointed him out in a negative way. And if you're not saying an offensive lineman's name, you know, the joke is that's probably means they're doing their job. So I think that's what Driscoll was. I think he has one of the more cleaner kick slides in all of this class. He has really good feet. I think he kind of overextends a little bit. Um, he doesn't have maybe that natural girth, that natural strength that you like to see other guys at 6'5", 300 plus that are he being compared to him. But I like Driscoll a lot as a day three guy that I think you can plug and play. I mean, four years of starting at right tackle, that goes a long way. And he's he's played pretty well at UMass and then answering the call at the SEC level. I really like what Driscoll has to offer, especially as a day three prospect. Moving on to, I guess, some of the more, uh, some of the sexier positions here. Auburn has two guys that were defensive backs that I thought had really great combines. Uh, starting with Javaris Davis, you know, he runs a 4 3 9, which is tied for second of defensive backs. He was just burning. Comes in in a top 20 in every drill that he participated in for defensive backs. Um, how much is that going to help him? You know, being a guy who only started on the outside for one season in the SEC and is only, you know, five, eight and a half. Yeah, I really like Javaris Davis's film. I mean, you talk about, you know, lining up on the outside, but he also took over a little bit in that nickel role. He can match up really with anybody. Sure, he's only five, eight, a little bit, uh, 180 and some change, but the guy meets some physical threshold. Sure, he might get bullied a little bit, but that demeanor is there. He's not going to back down from certain areas as far as pass coverage goes. Sometimes in run fits, you may see him back away a little bit. His technique can be a little hit or miss. But I think as you just talk about versatility and just his overall demeanor, he checked a lot of boxes at this combine. That 40 time definitely comes away. It's not necessarily surprising to those that follow Auburn closely. But I think guys that are kind of looking in that maybe, hey, who's a guy that we can plug and play and, and you know, just, just give us an instant impact? And it was funny, Deion Sanders on the broadcast was saying, you never run into a defensive coach that says, hey, we got enough cornerbacks. We don't need any more. <laughs> I think Javaris Davis can kind of step in that role, bring some versatility, and bring some depth to a team immediately. He draws some comparisons to Jonathan Jones at New England, and he's kind of used that movable chess piece in that secondary for New England. I think Javaris Davis could do something very similar to that. Do you, and think, the, do you think Javaris is limited to being in the middle of the field, Christian? Probably from a physicality standpoint. Um, I don't think you have to play him there 100% of the time. Uh, but just based on his strength, you know, you know, he has some really good short area quickness, and I think he can kind of explode to the ball a lot quicker. On um, the outside, you'll see him get beat just a little bit. Sometimes his foot discipline isn't always on par with the wide receiver. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, maybe five or ten years ago, you could say he couldn't play that outside, but now you're seeing just NFL personnel just scheme guys. You know, you got Michael Thomas sometimes playing in the slot, and then you'll get, you know, a smaller guy playing on the outside. But Typically, of the status quo that we know, I think Javaris Davis would be better suited for his ability inside, mostly at the slot position. The other defensive back for Auburn that had a great combine, Daniel Thomas, uh, a guy people were, I don't want to say surprised, got invited. But I thought you were going Noah here. I really did. Really? I really did, yeah. Okay. Um, the sweet I, prince, Igbenogany. I thought Daniel Thomas had an incredible combine. He finishes top nine um, for for safeties in everything he competed in. Uh, he tied for first in the bench press at 24. Uh, could this get him onto some draft boards and maybe into that you know, early day three range? 
Possibly. I mean, I still think he's kind of maybe on the outside looking in of being drafted. I mean, we, you know, we, when Zach and I always did the show, when we were trying to uh, evaluate, you know, in that five to seven range, who could be picked, it, it could virtually be anybody. So if there's a position, uh, you know, of need, it's, it's some team that has a guy that, or they need a need to fill a role of a physical downhill hitting safety with, with some pass coverage skills. I think Daniel Thomas could be a fit in that role. Um, but just going to his combine performance. Yeah, I'm with you, Michael. I think, you know, he dominated in a lot of areas that were a little surprising. You know, maybe he was that kind of late addition if there are some to the combine, but he showed out like he belonged there. And I think with a very fluid safety class, I and the safety class overall, including free and strong safeties, uh, I think there's only four, maybe even five starters in the NFL. So there's a lot of fluidity outside of maybe that six to, you know, at the end of the draft. So Daniel Thomas could definitely fill a role and fill a void for some teams that need, uh, you know, maybe just a, I don't want to say a box safety, but maybe just kind of come down the hill, maybe play on first and second down, hit somebody in the mouth, shed some blocks, uh, and then play on the perimeter. Because I think his man coverage skills are a little limited because I think his, his overall quickness and change of direction it, it, it's a little stiff, mm-hmm. but I think if you're just getting, if you just want to run defender, I think Daniel Thomas is a good day three guy for that. And then let's talk about my guy. I've been kind of leading the charge for uh, for Noah all season long, and now he's starting to get mocked in some first rounders. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Igbenogany this past weekend? Okay, really quick. Yeah. Uh, The reason I didn't say him before, I think he didn't have a very good combine. Um, He said in an interview with someone on, I think, Friday, it might have been Thursday, uh, that he was going to run in the 4.2s. He ends up running a 4.48. And for a guy that, you know, when they talk about track speed, Noah's on there. And I I thought he's got to be pretty disappointed with that 4.48, which is kind of weird to say. But And Christian, before you respond to that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, drills that you can measure like the 40 and then just watching Noah run around and his footwork being so pure and, and you know what, what do scouts look at as far as you know these numbers and as far as what actually is happening on the field yeah and I think Noah's role kind of needs a really good 40 time Michael I'm with you I think just of all the the predetermines that we had of the information it's like yeah I was expecting him to run a 4-3 sub 4-5 is fine for a corner but maybe just the, you know, the presumption that we had of Igbenogany. But, Zach, going to your question, yeah, when you're looking at just some of those, those, those field drills and how they correlate to speed, and Noah's position, since he's probably going to play mostly on the outside, you got to have that vertical speed. He has that catch-up speed for sure. So when you're seeing you know, some of those drills, whether it's you know, turning your hips on the, on the hash marks and locating the football, I think those are important for him. Uh, because he's going to have to quickly redirect and then shoot down the field if that answers your question. But his overall day, I think, was fine. I didn't see any glaring negatives. But for a guy that, you know, you were talking about mocked in at the back end of those first rounds, I think in, uh, in Mel Kuyper Jr.'s pre-combine mock draft, I think yeah. he was slotted to 24 at New Orleans uh, or somewhere on that back end. So maybe that time kind of, you know, puts him, you know, behind the eight ball in that regard. But I still think he's a, a early day two pick because he just throws a lot of ability for only playing the position for two years. And I think he has some underrated technique as far as just transitioning from the wide receiver to cornerback position. Christian, if he gets taken in the first round and Roger Goodell has to read his name, how bad does he butcher it? Nope, it's not happening. I don't know. Maybe Roger will get lucky and get somebody else to come in and do it, but Uh. (laughs) I don't know. I've heard it so many different ways, like, 
Igba Nagane or Igba, like Igba Jean or something like that. Igba Nagini is another one I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's all over the place. So, I mean, I guess that's the last time we really have to say it. I mean, we, I know we can all say it pretty cleanly, but I mean, when Gus, Gus Malzahn set the scene at, at signing day back in, I guess, 2017 and said, Hey, I'm not even going to try to say his name. I'm just going to call him Iggy. Mm -hmm. We're going to go forward with that. I think a lot of NFL fans will take that same approach. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, let's go to the most interesting prospect, Aaron Sipos. Did you break? Sipos. Sipos, you're right. Did he, uh, did did you really break down his, um, his, um, I guess it's his left leg, right? He's left footed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not so much, and I guess that's bad on my part for not preparing for it, all. It's not. Days. It's not. It's not. It's not bad on your part. I was just curious if you but, looked at it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, he showed some ability at Auburn, just getting you know the skinny of it. But I think his age. I think he'll be 28 when the draft comes around, and I don't know how teams look at that. I mean, I don't know the the lifespan of a punter in the NFL. I'm sure it's pretty lengthy, but uh, I mean, if he can, you know, play seven to ten years, whatever it may be, he doesn't have the leg comparable to some of the other punters across the league and I think that's his biggest weakness but he does have the hang time and if you can drop you know a 45 yard punt with significant hang time and get no return then I think you do have a spot in the league but I think Sipos uh, you know kickers and punters I can never I never evaluate them because you know they'll get picked in the fourth round and it just completely ruins everything so yeah you're right but Sipos I, I, I definitely I think he makes a preseason squad for sure. All right, we got two guys left, and I'm specifically saving one guy for last. So let's go to to Marlon Davidson next. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Marlon Davidson, I feel like he's going to be scheme-dependent. You know, he put on some more weight. He's now over 300 pounds. He told me at the Senior Bowl that he played at about uh, 287, I believe was the right mark, and so he's gained a little bit. Uh, but he was 297 at the Senior Bowl, not saying he put on that much weight uh, since, you know, the end of January to now. Sure. But uh, Davidson, I, I feel like he's probably a little more comfortable at that 3-4 defensive end position. I think Kevin Steele did kind of accentuate his abilities, you know, putting him maybe inside the three-tech on third downs, making him rush the passer from the interior. He doesn't necessarily have that overwhelming flexibility to play on the outside uh, in that 4-3 alignment, maybe at that not not necessarily a wide seven tech, but a little more scrunched up on the outside tackle shoulder. But uh, Davidson, I think there is some scheme flexibility. And, I mean, y'all have talked to him in the past, too. You know how smart this guy is. You know how much he loves the game. So I think really mentality-wise he could fit in any scheme, but I think he's maybe limited from a physical standpoint. Uh, but I think he fits best as that 3-4 D, uh, defensive end, maybe as that back-end first-round guy. Um, a lot of people at the Senior Bowl talked highly about him, even in that one game of practice. But I know, you know, maybe a situation you brought up New England about Derek Brown, maybe Marlon Davidson fits in that role. Uh, just just some people that are used to I would kind of with guys. I, I, I would just, I would cry. <laughs> yeah. I would cry if that happened. It, it, I think that would be a perfect situation for Davidson because New England gets the best out of their guys, especially on that defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. I think they would do wonders with Davidson there. So you mentioned David Davidson's senior bowl time uh, a, a few times in that answer. I've got to think that his performance at the senior bowl where, you know, he there was one day of practice when everyone was just going nuts about how, how great his performance was. And like you said, people spoke super highly of him from that. You've got to think that the the senior bowl will weigh more in his favor than, you know, this combine might way against him since he didn't have you know an elite combine by any any stretch of the imagination yeah I, I think that's a fair evaluation and especially when scouts get to see him you know 
physically do stuff in pads, you know, with a helmet on. And here, you know, they call it the underwear Olympics for a reason because it's not that, you know, true determinant of what player you're getting. And like we were talking about Derek Brown, his numbers don't correlate to how dominant he is on film. Davidson, maybe some underwhelming numbers given, you know, some of the other quote-unquote edge players that he's grouped with. But he's a different kind of player. Not going to call him unique, but he's a different type of player uh, that, that teams are used to working with. So I definitely think it is fair just seeing him play real football at the Senior Bowl. If that's their last memory and they kind of scrap what they saw on the field with Marlon Davidson in Indianapolis this past weekend, I think that's a fair assessment. And that, let's be honest, that's probably what a lot of scouts and a lot of front office personnel see when they can kind of, you know, match some film with some physical abilities in that Senior Bowl setting as opposed to what they see at the Combine. All right, Christian, last guy, and I think it's the most interesting guy outside of outside of Punter, of course. Nick Coe, uh, listed as a linebacker, he had some comments about uh, his time at Auburn, but, I mean, what in the world are scouts going to do with this guy? I have no idea, and I know that's not the answer you wanted, but That's I what feel I like expected, you, to be fair, because I, yeah, I, I, I don't think I you do like, know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you poll, you know, the majority of scouts from all 32 teams, they're like, you know, we can put him in a certain spot. I don't know how good he good he could be but you know he has you know six five three hundred and uh or two excuse me 280 pounds 33 nearly 34 inch arms so he has you know these long limbs he has you, you see you think he has a lot of power but sometimes when you turn on film he's getting redirected by you know interior alignment he doesn't look like he's all that comfortable of making contact um you know he likes to go to the outside he doesn't necessarily follow the football at all times so he is a weird player, and I guess I'm okay saying that. You can quote me on that one, but it's just very interesting because, you know, we thought, you know, coming into the 2019 season that he was going to be the guy that took that big step forward, you know, a, a pass rushing role that kind of accentuated his ability in Kevin Steele and Ronnie Garner's defensive line setup. But Nick Cole, he's just a very interesting prospect. I assume he's a day three player at some point because somebody's going to fall in love with you know, his 6'5", 280-pound frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, his film's just – his film's not good enough to me just based on, you know, hindsight of what we have this past season for me to feel comfortable selecting him. But, again, anywhere from that five to seven-round range, you know, anything's kind of a risk, so why not take him with that flyer? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you're a big Titans fan. You buying all the, the Titans getting Brady hype? Man, you know, it's funny. I tried to just, like, steer away from that, but people keep texting me and they're like, oh, man, did you see, you know, Edelman and Brady talking to Vrabel and stuff like that? You know, I, I'm going to go back to, I think it was right after the Titans and the, the Patriots game finished in the playoffs this year, and uh, Matt Miller of Bleacher Report said, you know, if this is Brady's last stint in New England and he does continue to pursue a football career in the NFL, he needs to go to a team that has a serviceable offensive line enough skill players around him, a solid rushing game, and a stout defense. And he's like, who fits that mold? And I was like, I mean, if you want to get technical, the team that just defeated him, you know, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, because assuming they, you know, uh, signed Derrick Henry back, even though they're going to have to make him the highest paid running back in the league, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis took that step forward. They're going to have to shuffle some things up on the offensive line, and they have a pretty sound defense overall. So I am buying it from, you know, kind of a personnel standpoint, but – I, I, it's hard to judge Brady either way. So I'm judging it from maybe a hypothetical standpoint, but not necessarily what Brady's thinking. Yeah. Christian, uh, where can people find all of your draft stuff, buddy? Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Christian page as P A G E. And then follow all our content on cover one.net. 
Russell Brown and I covered the draft with some other some other feature uh, uh, commenters as well. So it's definitely a fun season here. So so keep it with uh, at underscore Christian Page and at Cover One on Twitter to keep all the uh, updates in your time feed. Awesome. Thank you so much, buddy. Good to hear from you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. This has been another edition of the Locked On Auburn Podcast. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.